Welcome to Body Matters Podcast, where we bring to you raw and inspiring content on all things to do with body positivity and eating disorder recovery. But before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as traditional people and traditional owners of this country. We acknowledge with gratitude First Nations communities for their continuing care and connection to the lands or waters with which they have protected for thousands of years. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and recognise that First Nations sovereignty was never ceded. On this week's episode, I am super excited to be introducing you to our next special guest, Paige Travoyevich. After being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes from the age of 4, Paige now speaks with us about her past struggles with food, body and diabetes management. So please enjoy our next lovely guest. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Paige. No, a pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Would you be able to provide a little background information about yourself and then maybe speak about some things that you like to do to stay well? Sure. So I'm a 26-year-old female, so I've grown up here on the Northern Beaches. Um, My background is social work, so I've been a hospital social worker for about four years now. Um, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was four, so I've had it for about 22 years now. And I'm a middle child, so I've got an older sister and a younger sister, um, and I live with my younger sister and my mum. In terms of staying well, so I like to keep active at the gym, love getting out and getting some sun, whether it's by the pool, going for a walk, um, and a bit of self-care. I love my skincare, so love getting the facials, the skin needling, (laughs) Um, and I do enjoy trying new restaurants and, you know, hitting up some wineries in the Hunter Valley every year. Um, that's kind of little things that I, I do that. to keep well. I love that that's in your self-care, the Hunter <laughs> Valley every now and then. We'll go. You know, self-care, mental health. Oh, got to be. I like doing. Yeah, that's a little bit about me. And I guess each week on the podcast, we do also like to ask our guests about a recent challenge that they've experienced and how they have managed to overcome it. Do you have one? Yeah, so um, in, before we started recording, we were talking about Christmas and how it's a you know a big thing. And um, for me, actually, that um, impacted my diabetes a little bit because it's a bit of a change of routine. You're eating different foods, you're drinking a bit more. So I kind of found over this period it was a little bit harder to keep my sugar levels in check, which, you know, it can be a bit challenging at times. Um, I guess how I got over that sometimes is just reminding yourself, you know what, I'm only human. This isn't long-term. It's just for the festive period and just keeping myself in check, using all the knowledge that I do know. But um, really it was kind of just taking it day by day and remembering it is okay to enjoy this period of time of the year. So that was kind of a recent challenge for me. Yes, definitely. And I guess was it easier or harder when you were young around those periods? Um, when I was young, like when I was very young, I think, um, you know, your parents kind of manage your diabetes a little bit more. So you, you're not as aware of what's happening, but obviously now being 26, um, 
you know, my diabetes management has been my responsibility and I'm very accountable for it probably since I was about 12, 13. Um, so you, you do become a little bit more aware of, oh, no, like my levels are going really high, they're staying high. And it can make you feel a little bit like shitty as well because when your levels are high, you're drinking more, you need to go to the bathroom more, you just kind of don't feel great. Um, but, it, yeah, I think it's probably harder as you, you know, taking more control of your diabetes management. Um, but, again, it's it's only a few weeks of your life, so <laughs> it's not the worst thing. Yes, definitely. And I guess then could you talk a little bit about your childhood and your relationship with food? Yeah, yeah. So my childhood was really good. Like I was grew up, you know, with a loving family, close-knit family. Um, as I mentioned before, um, I was diagnosed with diabetes when I was four. So that was back in 2002. Um, and like I was saying, when I was at that age, um, your diabetes management is kind of in the hands of your parents, most or mine. So I was able to enjoy food, I guess, without worrying or thinking about the impacts of it too much. Um, I guess, you know, time you hit seven, eight, nine, you kind of start to build that awareness on, okay, certain foods are having different impacts on my sugar levels. And, you know, I was kind of noticing foods that I was getting. So if me and my sisters would go to Glory Jeans, get a nice hot chocolate or something like that, you know, mine would have to be modified. So it would be, you know, can we get less chocolate in this one or can we get skim milk with this one? Um, so you, you kind of realising, okay, like I can't have what other people are having. Um, and for example, at birthday parties, you know, you would, you would have one piece of cake. You wouldn't be able to, you know, have cake, cookies, all the chips and everything because you were kind of realizing, okay, I'm going to go home and my sugars aren't, aren't going to be too good. And I guess that's when you, I started categorizing certain foods as good foods or, you know, healthy foods and bad foods, naughty foods, because I would see the impact it would have on my sugar levels. Um, I think that kind of did, as I grew up, impact my relationship with food and how I viewed certain foods and food groups um, as a teenager. Yeah, definitely. And I guess then what about when you kind of transitioned into your teen years? What was it like, I guess, with like your relationship with food, body and um, mm. having that awareness? Mm. So, yeah, transitioning into teenagers, teenage years, um, like I said, the management of my diabetes kind of became more of my responsibility, um, which is, I guess, natural. Um, and I was becoming more aware of the impacts of certain foods on my sugar levels and, you know, categorizing foods into, okay, I can eat these, these are safe, good foods, and you know, these ones I should maybe steer away from because they will raise your sugar levels a little bit more. Um, so it was kind of a little bit more focused on making the right food choices. Um, and then I guess as um, a child and teenager, you go to your diabetes clinics. I was going every three months. Um, and I guess as a teenager, like naturally, you, you kind of go through puberty, you start gaining a bit of weight. Um, you would see a dietitian and you'd have to tell them what you were eating. Um, and it was often at those appointments, it was told, oh, you know, you are gaining weight. You're in this percentile for your weight, this percentile for your height. Um, and I guess it was never really told in a positive light that you were gaining weight. Um, so it was kind of, and then would be like, you know, maybe limit those naughty, bad foods and try to have more healthier foods. Um, so I think that was kind of when I was about 12, 13, you 
you kind of started getting those disordered eating thoughts and your relationship with food did start to change for me anyway. Wow, it should definitely be a focus on the diabetes, not on the weight. I feel like putting in disordered mm. eating thoughts from a professional is really hard to to kind of take in and interpret. Mm. Yeah. And so young as well because, you know, I'm not sure about you, but when I was about 12, 13, you started getting the hips and, you know, you do get a little bit self-conscious about that. So hearing someone in the medical thing being like, oh, you know, you've gained five kilos since your last appointment, it was never framed in a positive light. Especially since you need to regularly see that person, that can be quite a mm. lot. Did mm. your, was your mum kind of present during those sessions? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So she would come with me because it was um quite a big drive as well. So you have to have your adult with you, but um. Yeah, I often you would go into a separate room there when you do your weight, height, your blood pressure, and then you would do the joint sessions together just to review everything, see how everything was going. Yeah, but it definitely does ingrain those things, I guess, so young. Mm. I guess then could you talk about the changes, like the day-to-day type little changes that you made around food? Mm. So. I'm not sure how much I guess you do know about type 1 diabetes. Um, so just, I guess, to, to recap, um, my pancreas doesn't produce any insulin. Um, and what insulin is, it's a hormone that is released from your pancreas when your blood sugars begin to rise. So, for example, if, if you were to eat a meal, your blood sugars would rise and then your body would produce insulin to keep it down and within range and stable. Um, so for me, I take a synthetic insulin because my body doesn't produce it. Um, so when I do eat, I do need to count the amount of carbohydrates that are in my meal. So that involves weighing your food, um, calculating the carbohydrates in it, and then working out how much insulin I need to take to hopefully make sure my levels don't spike too much. Um, so at the moment I use an insulin pump, which is a lot easier for me to, to kind of manage and work out how much insulin I need. Um, but I found when I was younger and on the pens, it, it was a big deal. You did have to work out a little bit more maths involved, I guess, and it was a little bit more, for me, an, an effort to work that out. Um, so I guess, like I said, with getting some foods modified, if, if you were going to get a hot chocolate, you would get less chocolate powder in your drink or, um, you know, you go to a party, you wouldn't be able to enjoy the food as freely because you are thinking, okay, I'm going to go home and my levels aren't going to be great or you're kind of guessing how many carbs are in certain things. Um, so you do need to, I guess, be more mindful of what you're eating, but also for me, I was kind of making those changes. Okay, how can I steer away from those sugary, high-carb foods, which you can eat carbs, you can eat sugar, you've got to give insulin for it. But I think at that age, it was a little bit harder to, to work that out. Yes, definitely. And I think a lot of those characteristics are in, you know, certain types of eating disorders, types of fears around foods and restrictions. Like you can see how it can definitely turn into that. Mm. So I guess, would you say, was there any type of restriction or eating disorder behaviors or thoughts that I guess kind of came out of that? Um, in terms of modifying your foods and everything? Yeah. Yeah, carbohydrates was a big one for me because that was something that you did have to count for every meal and I still do have to count it. Um, so it was kind of like, well, if I limit how many carbohydrates I'm having, that's less insulin, for example, and my sugars will stay stable. So because I was always focused on carbohydrates and kind of got in that mindset that the higher carbs and sugar was naughty or bad, it was kind of thinking, okay, how can I restrict that 
um, to be, I guess, a better diabetic, for example. Um, yeah, so that was a big one for me. I guess, how did you see the negative effects of um, restricting them? Yeah, so I would probably say that my disordered eating probably came around the age of 12, 13. Um, and I think, I'm not sure about you, but around that age group, there was a big focus in schools about your body image and having that thin look. Um, so it was hard around this age because your body does change. Um, and I didn't like the changes that I was seeing. It was kind of reinforced that it wasn't good. Um, so I guess some negative experiences was I used to take laxatives after every meal um, that I would eat to try and hopefully just push it out and hopefully not consume those calories or carbohydrates that I did eat. Um, and then it kind of transitioned into making myself purge after every meal in the bathroom. So it was really hard to keep, you know, a, a social life and go out and enjoy things and thinking, okay, how am I going to get rid of this? Um, and then afterwards that did transition into anorexia nervosa um, where I was diagnosed just before I turned 15. I think there was a lot of negatives during my eating disorder. You know, I lost my period for about five years. So I got that back when I was 18 and a half. Um, and for quite a long period of that, um, I actually had undetectable hormones. So it was that fear was, oh, am I actually going to be able to have kids when I'm older? If, you know, my hormones aren't showing up on any of the tests that we're doing. Um, and I also did um, have osteopenia, which is where your bone density is quite low. So often, you know, I was in quite a lot of pain, things hurt all the time. Um, but I think actually the most negative thing for me was actually the relationship strains and worry that I did put on my family and I did become quite a different person during during that period of time I was quite secretive I was quite manipulative it's quite horrible to my family who you know were trying to help and challenge the eating disorder but that would often result you know in a lot of fights um, a lot of tears you know not actually getting along with them and that was because they were challenging the eating disorder but and that eating disorder wasn't happy about that so it kind of did, yeah, cause a lot of strains on on the family and, and our relationship during that probably six-year period. Yeah, definitely. Can you talk a little bit about your family aware of your eating disorder? I guess how soon was it known to them and did that you kind of seek that support, I guess, quickly? Mm. Um, I think it got to the point where I was looking sick because um, during that period where I was more, you know, binging, purging, taking laxatives. Um, I didn't, I guess, look sick, um, which often then it can be hidden a little bit more. But it was when I, I guess, that even sort of transitioned into restriction and I was losing weight. I think at 14, I lost about 20 kilos in six months and I started to kind of look very frail. Um, and I do remember we went out for dinner. I think we went to Vivid and... Um, we all got a meal and I actually couldn't eat the food at the restaurant. And I think that's when my family was like, okay, she's actually very unwell. And I was shaking, crying. I'm like, just take a bite. And I, I couldn't do it. Um, so that was, I think, the trigger for them to be like, okay, something more is going on and probably need to go speak to someone about this. Um, but for me, I think I knew for quite a while that things weren't, went well for me and it is hard to kind of speak up and ask for help because 
you know, that eating disorder doesn't want you to seek that help and wants to take control over. So, um, but I think the biggest trigger for me was when my sugar levels would go low and I didn't want to take a juice or a jelly bean to take that sugar to bump it up. So I would often just stop taking my insulin in the hopes that my sugar levels would just slowly come up. And during the night, I still wouldn't take the juice or the jelly bean. So I would stay up most of the night not taking my insulin during my pump and just hoping that my sugar levels would go up. And, you know, if you do fall asleep when you're low, you can fall into a coma, um, which can be quite life-threatening. So I think for me that was kind of that light bulb moment being like, okay, like this is actually getting quite serious. Wow, definitely. And was it, I guess, at that point that you kind of sought treatment or your family sought treatment with you? Um, I started bringing it up at my diabetes appointments because they were like, oh, you've lost a significant amount of weight since we last saw you, like what's going on? And I remember I actually saw a social worker there um, and she was like, oh, like picking up on the red flags and it's like, talk to me more about your thoughts around this. And I, I remember telling her, I'm so scared to eat something that's not a salad. But sometimes it was hard at that age because everyone's got that focus on diet, being thin. I was like, but, no, you know, it's just healthy, right? Like what's wrong with just eating salad? And you're a growing girl. Like it's quite concerning. And she was actually really good because every appointment she would be all right, looking for those red flags. Um, and I think my mum was at one of the appointments and that's where I got the referral to the outpatient um, treatment program that was in the same hospital that I was going to um, after that, yeah. Yeah, and it's such a risk, I think, for young people to show like you were risking your life, you know, for mm. eating disorders, which, you know, as a teen it can be something that can happen, but it's so dangerous. Mm. Yeah. So risking your health as well, yeah. And I guess, you know, you talked a little bit about the outpatient treatment. Mm. I guess what kind of happened in that space for you? Yeah, sure. So um, I was referred from my diabetes team to um, the outpatient treatment in the same hospital. So I think I started there just before I turned 15. Um, and I was discharged when I turned 18 because it is a, a pediatric clinic. Um, so that was actually a really important program for me. And I don't think I actually probably would have got through this if I wasn't linked in with them. Um, it started off with weekly visits to the children's hospital. Um, and what they would do, you would go in there, you would pee in a cup, they would scan your bladder to make sure you weren't water loading. They would do your weights, they would do your ECG, your heart health, your blood tests, et cetera, do the whole thing. Then I would sit with the pediatrician and a nurse and we would kind of go through, okay, my progress, how I was going, what I had eaten for that week, and if there's any areas of concerns for me. Um, but actually in their program, they don't tell you any numbers. So I would never know what my heart rate was, wouldn't know what my weight was. I really actually wasn't allowed to know whether medically I was doing better or if I was doing worse. And for me, that was actually really helpful. Um, I think sometimes with eating disorders, it, if you are getting sicker, if your heart health, you know, your heart rate's gone down and your weight's gone down, the eating disorder gets a bit of joy and satisfaction out of that. So for me, that was actually really important that we didn't discuss any numbers. So that would be a discussion with me and then they would discuss with my mom separately and then they would give her the medical update and then we would do a joint thing together. And then that 
gradually became fortnightly and then it became monthly. And then I did have to see a GP every week as well, just for a general check-in, you know, your heart rate, your blood pressure, all that. Um, and then I would see a psychologist every week, which then went to fortnightly, then monthly. And then we would have to do some family therapy sessions as well. Because obviously the family plays a big role in your recovery. And um, I guess, you know, around those meal times, how they can support you, but also, you know, challenge your eating disorder when it is that voice is becoming a bit stronger. Um, that, I guess, kind of encapsulates what the program was like for me and my experience, but it definitely was, I think, very key in my recovery. Yes, definitely. And would you say that it was like a slow, gradual progression or was there some type of, I guess, turning point or major significant moment within that treatment? Hmm. I actually think for me, I had I had really good support around me and they continually challenged me and helped me see that there is a lot of hope and goodness out there for me. I actually don't think there was a turning point. I think it was just the ongoing therapy and engagement in the program that I was actually slowly able to challenge my thinking and my relationship around food and body, um, but also was kind of able to find my identity outside my eating disorder when that eating disorder voice kind of became a bit quieter and more of me was showing. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think there was a particular turning point. I think it was just ongoing commitment and engagement in the program and honestly my family just continually supporting me and having my back. Yes, yeah, support is so important. Mm. I guess you talked about that commitment. So I guess after that treatment and that treatment program, what helps you now most to stay committed to yourself away from the eating disorder? Mm. Oh, I think, you know what, like I look back and I appreciate how much my body did and how hard it fought to kind of keep me alive during that time. And I think just seeing actually how great my life is now, like, you know, I'm from a social work, I'm working in hospital, I've got great friends, love going to restaurants, going to wineries and, you know, just kind of, enjoying my life I have such beautiful relationships with people and you know those relationships were quite compromised during that time and kind of just seeing you know what like my life is so great now um that that's kind of all the commitment I need and all the motivation I need to kind of keep going and I think sometimes it is natural sometimes you might have a bad body image day and be like oh god I don't like what I look like at the moment but I think it hasn't got to that point where I'm like okay I'm actually actually actively doing things that are not healthy for me um and I think as well just seeing much better my relationship is especially with my mom like during that time you know she was taking me to all my appointments um but also it was really strengthful in our relationship and you know now we're really good friends best friends really um and yeah that that really helps me stay committed to keeping myself healthy yeah, and it's so beautiful how far you've been able to come and look back and all the things that you now have that I guess you mm. wouldn't have back then. Mm. I think as well finding your identity outside of your eating disorder as well. Because um, I think because I was discharged from the service, as I said, at about 18, um, and I kind of found I was still had some disordered thoughts and some disordered eating, but I felt like I still had that eating disorder label attached to me, and I think being actually discharged from the service, um, I was able to kind of continue that recovery, but also, yeah, find my identity outside of it. And I think that was quite quite a good step for me to exit that and 
and do it on my own. Um, but also being aware if things to take a turn where I can go back to for support. Yeah, definitely. And I guess then, do you have any advice for anyone who is struggling um, with diabetes and their relationship with food? Hmm. I think some tips is definitely having a discussion with your diabetes team. Um, if you are a little bit concerned about your relationship with food, um, you know, this can is really difficult. It is really confronting to do it. Um, but you know what, they've got a resource of, of knowledge and can refer you on if if you do want that support or need that support. Um, but also, you know, using the resources that are available in, I guess, your diabetes team, um, you know, there's dietitians, there's social workers, so maybe booking an appointment in with one of them to be like, okay, like this is where I'm at. I'm a bit concerned. Like, where should I be going? What can I get support from you guys? Um, but also just remembering, you know, it's tough sometimes managing diabetes, and you can't be perfect. And we do think about food every meal. We're counting carbs at every meal. And you know what, it is okay to treat yourself a little bit. It's okay if sometimes your levels are high, low, we're only human, we're doing the best we can and, you know, take care of your health and prioritise your health. Thank you so much for this episode, Paige. It has okay. been cool. No, it's been lovely to come on. I know I've been chatting about it for a while, so I'm glad we've finally done it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the end of today's episode. Please subscribe, leave us a comment or a review. If you would also like to learn more about Body Matters services, you can check out our website at bodymatters.com.au. Thanks for listening.